Amen. Turn around and say hello to someone, then be seated if you would. Thank you so much. We do have a wonderful bulletin. Thank you, Dane. Grandparents Day's got, I think, every kind of grandparent, grandkid on there. And we had folks uh, tell how many grandkids, how many great-grandkids, and we, man, we had some good representations this morning, didn't we? And we talked about our grandkids, and everybody, of course, uh, has something to say, and we had photos that we, that we shared, and, and one gentleman came up to me, showed me his uh, mounted pictures of his grandkids, wanted to make sure I saw them, and they're beautiful grandkids, and I said to him, I said, those are beautiful grandkids. How on earth did somebody like you get beautiful grandkids like that? And this is what you call, it's all God, isn't it? Come on now. Amen. Come on. It's all God. Yeah. Amen. And amen. And they, they grow up so fast, don't they? They grow up so quickly. I talked about some of the things uh, that our kids are interested in. And it's just amazing. All of them have something that God can use. They have great potential. And if, if this whole world has any chance at all, it's going to be if the parents and the grandparents and the great-grandparents lead their children in righteousness and help them to stand against perhaps the greatest, the greatest challenge. We're in a period of time right now, I don't know how to call it anything other than it's just the run-up to the tribulation. I mean, we're getting ready to get raptured out of here. But you know what? There are going to have to be some folks who can stand during these days. And then after we're gone, hopefully the witness that we have left will cause some folks to come wandering into this place. They'll probably turn this into a, a, a book uh, or a storage area or something. You know, maybe a cultural museum or something. Folks will have to find their way here and they'll get... Can you imagine? They'll find one of these pew Bibles. Preacher... You'll only find the King James Bible in about four or five churches in this town. Do you know that? That's right. They got some other perversion. And somebody will find their way. They'll find the King James Bible. And they'll read that. And I don't know how it's going to work. I don't know the mechanics of people getting saved in the tribulation. But I believe that God is faithful. And the word is true. And won't it be wonderful, even after we're gone, we got the right Bible here. Even after we're raptured out of here, we got the right songbook with gospel songs about the blood of Jesus Christ that cleanseth from all sin. Do you ever think about how important that is? If they wander into some other place, they'll have to figure out how to get, you know, the light show going and how to get the screens working and all the, all the animation and all that stuff. But all they got to do here is come find a Bible and find a hymn book, get down on their knees, and, and we're just... We're just wanting to stand for Jesus during these days and praise the Lord. Thank you so much. Get yourself a copy of this. If you are online, scroll down to the right place and tap in the right place. And there are some really great quotes in here. No cowboy was ever faster on the draw than a grandparent pulling a baby picture out of a wallet. I like that. That's very true. And of course, John said in 3 John 4, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in Truth. Amen. A lot of great quotes. I hope you'll get those. Thank you so much. Now, in our bookstore, we are featuring books. Uh, we've gotten some of them so far. My sister's book, Jan Beecher, uh, wrote Critters in the Hollow. And uh, she's gone to heaven, but her book remains. 
It's a great children's book. We've got these available. A few copies left, right? We've got a few copies left. They're hard to come by. They'd go up on Amazon and try to get some. They're really difficult to get. This one by my sister-in-law, Corey, is back-ordered, but it's coming uh, early in the month, and you're going to get uh, creation stories for children. Don't miss out on this. Those you can get. We're not making money on that, but just uh, come on and get them. Very important. And also out here as you leave, make sure you get, look at this, kids. Got a centipede on the front of it. Do You know that that centipede, there's a message in that centipede. God made that centipede, believe it or not. And that centipede has a thing called adaptability. And it proves the God of creation. Once again, I hope you'll get these. We have those on the way out. They're absolutely free. And on the last page inside, kids, there is a kids section on sunflowers. You want to get one of those. So pick those up. Take as many as you would like to use. We have days of praise. Take as many of those. We've got them on the front row on your way out tonight. Thank you for your faithful giving, folks. Last Sunday, Labor Day, holiday weekend, good giving. Praise the Lord. Just really didn't shock the socks off of me, but it came close. And then we have finished raising money for 1,388 or 1,389 Polish Bibles to go to the Polish army, uh, their armed forces, and law enforcement. We want to see as many Polish people get saved as possible. And then we have give a Christmas gift to Jesus. We're into that now. So praise the Lord for all those things. I hope that I brought you up to speed and haven't bored you too much. You folks that are out there on YouTube, thank you for tuning in. Yesterday, we had 1601, our 16th year of Bible Institute and we looked at, again, a review of the life of Isaac and then went a little bit further. Isaac was uh, a patriarch, but he was the most ordinary of the patriarchs. And we've already had 60-some hits on that site. So I'm hoping that we'll get over 100 this month before the month is out and then several hundred uh, in the weeks ahead. And we will be meeting again on October the 9th and on November the 13th, sec, uh, session six, uh, 1602 and 1603 on Isaac and Jacob. Don't miss out. It's going to be fantastic. Now, you got your Bible? If you believe it, say it with me. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe the Bible is the Word of God. I believe there are no mistakes in it. I believe there are no mistakes in it. God helping me. God helping me. I'm going to try to obey it. I'm going to try to obey it. God helping us by His grace and for His glory. I want to please God. How about you? I want to please God. Now, a lot of people want to please themselves. Some people want to please uh, their spouse, their family, uh, their boss. They want to please someone. And all those things may have their place. But if I do anything in this world, I want to please God. And don't you? Paul wrote by inspiration to the Corinthian Christians. This was a local church with a lot of challenges. How many of you have read the book of 1 Corinthians, say, in the last 10 years? Raise your hands. Sure. I hope you read it every year if you read your Bible through. But at least in the last 10 years, you've read 1 Corinthians. A lot of challenges. Those people were baby Christians. They were confused. Uh, they had a lot of difficulties. They were not a mature group of believers. 
And Paul is writing by inspiration. That means every word that he wrote was breathed out by God. The only way I can explain that is by the metaphor that the, the word itself, if you look at the etymology, the linguistics of inspiration, God breathed it like he would breathe life and energy, breathe uh, into a sailboat, breathe, move it along. And that's the metaphor, that's the example. The words that have to do with inspiration have to do with breath and with life. By extension, everything that is written in the Bible is for us. Not every word in the Bible was written about us. Not every word in the Bible was written to us. Now help me, kids. Every word in the Bible was written for us. Personalize it, for me. Was it written to you? About you? Was it written for you? Yes. Yes. Every promise in the book is mine. Every chapter, every verse, every line. We need to personalize the Bible. We need to love it. We need to take it as our own. It says in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 21, For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. That's their wisdom, their phony, earthy wisdom. James talks about this. They knew not God. They didn't figure out God. You can't figure out God. Look at me. No matter how many brain cells you've got, how high your IQ is, you can't figure out God. Someone has wisely said you can't figure Him out, but you can faith Him out. By faith, what the Bible says, we accept it as literally, completely, entirely true. For after that, in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God, it pleased God by what the world calls the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. So it pleased God by the foolishness of preaching. Now the preacher, the preacher aspect of being this person who's standing back here, the pastor is one aspect, one facet of, of this calling. To pastor means to shepherd. And we have to lead the people. We have to be concerned about their needs. We have to do what the great, good, and kind shepherd would do. We have to follow his example and lead the sheep. But that's the pastor part. There is the didaskalos, which is the teaching part. And every, every pastor needs to be a teacher as well. They need to be able to express the truth in a way that it is assimilated, it's, it's practical, it's easily taken in and is made a part of the, the fabric of a person's life. So there's the pastoring, the leading part. There is the teaching part that's very important. There is the oversight part. There is the administrative part. And then there is the proclaiming part. That's the kerooks. The kerooks is the, the declaring part. And every pastor needs to be all five of those things, Pastor. We, we, we understand that's only by the grace of God. And we don't, we don't experience those things. And we may not all be strong in every area, but we want to yield ourselves to God for His usage in all those ways so that we can be a complete, uh, faceted uh, 
uh, leader that God wants us to be. And preaching is so very important. The world sees this as foolishness, but God uses that, that Kerouk's aspect of the ministry to save them that believe. We uh, strongly and emphatically declare the truth, right? When, when you preach down there to all of the Hispanic ministry, uh, it's not just conversation. Now, between raising our voice, we may explain. But we're raising our voice because it's worth getting excited about. It's worth declaring in an emphatic and an illustrative and uh, in a, a clear manner. We need to have a clarion call. We need to lift up our voice like a trumpet. Very important. One of my mentors said, when you preach, be careful not to simply deliver the sermon, but instead deliver your soul. Deliver your soul. What God has implanted on the soul in the personal experience, in the heart, belief, and conviction area of that pastor, what God has imprinted, we deliver it. And we deliver it passionately. We deliver it uh, energetically. We deliver it the, the best way we know how. And God uses the foolishness of preaching. Now, when we're constructing the message part of what we're delivering, when we're putting it together, it needs to be obvious to the, to the hearer that it's logical. It makes, it makes biblical sense anyway. It's truth because it agrees with the Bible. It's not something we've added to or taken from Scripture. And we've illustrated it in a way that's accurate so that... It's like Spurgeon said, illustrations are like the windows to the soul, let the light in. That's what we need to do when we're preaching. It's what, what you do when you're leading one uh, to Christ. You have to be clear about it. There it is. And God uses that to save them that believe. I don't know who's going to believe. Preacher, when, when I bring a message, I have no idea where it's going and who's going to you know, take from it whatever it is that God intends for them to get. But I know that God has laid it on my heart, my soul. This message tonight, God gave me. I didn't get it from any place else. God gave it to me, and He said, now you deliver it. Now, if I'd walked up here tonight, and the Holy Spirit had tugged on my coattails and said, not that one tonight, it would have been different. Then we would have stepped back and found, is this one? This is it? Until we found where he wanted us to be, and then we would have, you know, we would have delivered that, delivered our soul on that subject. I'm glad that God spoke to the heart of the right person the day I got saved. I'm so glad. Every time I give thanks for my salvation, I give thanks for Mrs. Brown. She didn't preach, but she was in vacation Bible school. And she stood up with a bunch of five, six, and seven-year-old kids. And she said, there is a heaven. There is a hell. If you don't get saved, you're going to that real hell. She described to five, six, and seven-year-olds what a real hell is like. I felt like I could feel the flames. That's it. And she said, now you don't want to go there, but you have a problem. And the problem you have is that 
you've done bad things. You need to have your heart washed clean. You need to let Jesus come in your heart and with His blood wash you clean and save you forever and take away all the bad things and make you a brand new person inside. Now, I wasn't even yet six years of age, but I understood that. And she was very emphatic, as I recall. I remember sitting there in that room in the educational wing. My dad and his leaders had built that educational wing. My dad had taken a mission church that was meeting in a partially finished basement with tar paper for a roof. My dad, as a young preacher with uh, two older children, and with this one, I was nine months old when we moved to Los Altos, California. And he took that church, and they built, they built above that tar paper. They built that building. They built a new auditorium. They built a huge educational wing. And I was sitting now, four years later, almost five years later, five years later, I was sitting in that educational wing in what they called the fireside room. Preacher, they had a room with a, with a fireplace in it. Must have been for fellowships or something. I don't know. But I was sitting right next, I was looking up, and here's all this block work, like something that Tony Musamelli would, would do. You know, it was looking good, looking good. And I was looking at that, it had a big metal grate screen over it. And there was there were big brass uh, uh, fittings that you put logs on in there. You know what I'm talking about. I mean, it was first class. But she was up there, Mrs. Brown was up there, and she was talking about fire. She was talking about hell. She was talking about escaping hell by receiving Jesus Christ. It, it couldn't have been any clearer. You, ex you accept, you receive Jesus, and you go to heaven. You reject Jesus Christ, you might die tonight and go to hell. She was good. And there must have been 50 of us in that room. I'm just a little kid, and I'm thinking now, there, there, had, to be, there had to be eight, at least eight rows on folding chairs. And she said, every head bowed, every eye closed. You wonder where I got it from. Got it from a long line of people that say, let, you know, bow your head and close your eyes. Let every eye be closed. And she asked the question. And my hand shot up. And then I peeked. I did something you're not supposed to do. And there were a bunch of other hands. I wasn't the only one. And she said, if you raised your hand and you really meant it, we need to deal with you personally. She believed in that. And so a bunch of workers kind of herded us out. And there were 17 of us. 16 others and myself. And we went in the side, the next room over. And it was a narrow thing. It was long. And it had a bunch of folding chairs, slat chairs like you'd uh, have at a funeral parlor or outdoors when they set up, you know, funerals out on the lawn. You know what I mean? And that's, we all knelt down on a tile floor. It had different colored squares in the tile. I remember that. It had wood walls. I can still remember how the place looked and smelled and everything. And we knelt down and they led us through a prayer and explained it as they went. And I prayed. I don't know what happened to the other 16, but I know I received Jesus Christ as my Savior. I have no doubt whatsoever. I know that I know that I know that I know that I know I was born again. And I'm so glad I'm saved. And I'm glad I know it for sure. Do you? Do you know for sure that you're saved? And I'm really glad tonight that my Bible says it pleased God when He saved me. That's it. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. Nothing in 
this world. I'm telling you, as a five slash six year old kid that got saved and has never, ever, 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 ever been sad or unhappy about that, nothing can take the place of old fashioned Bible preaching. Nothing. I believe in no holds barred preaching. Anything that's in the Word, open season. Open season. That's it. Don't worry about who's sitting in the audience. Don't worry about who's going to be offended. Now don't set out to offend them, but set out to speak the truth as led of the Holy Spirit. Hold nothing back. Prepare. My dad always taught me, prepare. If he taught me anything, he said, son, when you walk into that pulpit, you better have something that the Lord's laid on your heart and you better tell them as plainly and don't sit down till it's done, but when you're finished, sit down. And he, he had good wisdom about that. My father was not the most eloquent Weniger. He had brothers who were famous preachers. But my dad was, as I've described, like a greasy wrench. He could get the job done. It wasn't a beautiful bouquet of roses. He was a greasy wrench. And if you can get the job done, tell it plainly. Tell it energetically. Tell it emphatically. Tell it excitedly. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, every individual. It's, I understand. It is... To us as individuals to go out and reach individuals, but we should try to reach every one of them that we possibly can. That's what I'm saying. It means to declare. It means to herald the truth. It means to tell it like it is without human restraints. Not this modern conversational dialogue which is couched in, I believe, cowardly apologies. Now don't be offended what I'm going to say next. No, I'm sure that makes God sick to his stomach. God wants us to be offended. Sometimes conviction is part of being, and offended is part of conviction. I believe that. We need to be bold. We need to speak the truth in love. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Bible preaching is needed today as never before. I'm talking about that which pleases God. Over in 2 Timothy Chapter 2, in that passage about the one who has called us to be a soldier. Look what it says in verse number 4. No man that warreth entangleth himself with the affairs of this life, that he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. Stay on point. Stay on point. Don't get sidetracked. Who it is, whatever it is, <laughs> that your mission is to, to reach that person. Stay on track. Stay on track. Keep telling them about Jesus. He is the one. He is the one that is worthy of our praise and worthy of our discussion. It says so in uh, Revelation chapter 4. Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power, for Thou hast created all things, and for Thy pleasure they are and were created. That's it. God created us with the ultimate goal of our pleasing Him. And if you're God, you have a right to create your creatures so that they will please you. That's why He created us. 
There it is. And the Lord taketh pleasure in His people, it says in Psalm 149, verse 4, and He will beautify the meek with salvation. Think about that. He makes, he makes us beautiful. That's what He looks upon and He declares to be beautiful. It's terrible to lose that status with the Lord. As For example, when God's chosen people in the Old Testament got, got out of line, uh, for example, all those priests that are being, uh, uh, being uh, uh, dealt with in Malachi. You, you remember reading about that? How they were using uh, marred sacrifices and they were doing all those things. And, and the Lord said, here's what He says about that, that He takes no pleasure in that. We were created to please Him. And yet... How do we please Him? We please Him first by receiving Him as Savior, receiving His free gift of salvation. That's it. That's how we please Him. And then we strive according to the Word of God to be lined up with Him and do what He says. In Hebrews chapter 10, verse 38, those that go back, that draw back, that turn back, He has no pleasure in them. What a shame that is. And I don't ever want to be counted among those that he takes no pleasure in. Back to the gospel according to John. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. That's the Lord Himself. Second person of the Trinity. The Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. He created everything. Why did He create them? He created them for His good pleasure. Without Him was not anything made that was made. So everything comes under that designation. It's all created to please Him. We know what the Bible says. We are not uh, simply like uh, uh, animals that don't have reasoning power. We can read the Word of God. We can understand. We can sense. We have a spirit that can sense what God wants us to know through the Word of God, what the Holy Spirit wants to convict us of. It says in that first chapter, verse 14, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. I'm not going to belabor the point, but when Jesus Christ came to earth, He came down to our level. The Creator comes down to the level of the creature. He came for the purpose of redeeming us because we were, we were otherwise completely hopeless and lost. So he came down and he identified with us and he did everything that's necessary for us to be saved so that in heaven, the heavenly creatures declare him to be worthy and one day we who will make up that great body, that choir, we declare him to be worthy. Worthy is the lamb that was slain. Slain from the foundation of the world, we read. We understand what that means. That means that always was God's plan. There isn't plan B. That's always been God's plan. When we prepare to preach, to declare, to boldly speak the truth in love, we need to remember three very important aspects of that declaring. Number one, What's needed first and foremost is whole counsel preaching. We're talking about the whole Bible. We need to get back to reading the whole Bible. In Nehemiah, we have a, an example given. Let's go there. Just before 
we get to the wisdom books, we have the book of Nehemiah. And Nehemiah, of course, chapter number 8. That's where we're going. Nehemiah chapter 8, and verse 1. And all the people gathered themselves together as one man into the street that was before the water gate. Now understand, they haven't had this for a very long time. And they spake unto Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had commanded to Israel. And Ezra the priest brought the law before the congregation, both of men and women, and of all that could hear with understanding, upon the first day of the seventh month. And he read therein before the street that was before the water gate from the morning until midday, before the men and the women and those that could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive unto the book of the law. Get yourself the Word of God, Alexander Scorby, reading it, read it, uh, put it up on your screen, see the words, if you got the DVD that goes with it, or put, it, put, the, put the CD or the tape or the whatever electronic device you've got, and get your Bible open and read along, and go through the Word of God. Ezra the scribe stood upon a pulpit of wood, which they had made for that purpose. Verse 5, And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the people, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it up, all the people stood up. They showed great respect, as we should. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God, and all the people answered, Amen, Amen, with lifting up their hands. And they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Wow. Verse number 8, So they read in the book of the law of God distinctly and gave the sense and caused them to understand the reading. And you can read on and you will see it's been a long time and the impact is tremendous. They want more. They have a tremendous hunger. They have a hunger and a thirst for righteousness at this point. They want all the Bible. They don't want just some of it. They want all of it. They want to take it in. When Jesus spoke uh, on the mount and gave the Sermon on the Mount, he was speaking to this Jewish crowd. And they were as yet unconverted. But he took the Old Testament, which was their Bible, and he spoke from that. He said, ye have heard. And then he would expand on it. And we now have recorded what he said in those chapters. And, for example, Matthew's uh, Gospel, chapters 5, 6, and 7. We know that, that Jesus uh, enlarged and expanded their understanding of what their Bible, the Old Testament, said and brought it into the light of day in his time. That's what Jesus did. And he, he did it clearly. He did it as we have Ezra here. Uh, distinctly. He did it so that people who would hear it would have understanding. They would be able to take it in. God never intended for the Word of God to be way up here. Uh, he, Jesus said, feed my sheep down here. He didn't say, feed my giraffes up here. He said, feed my sheep. He wants to get it right down there. Amen. Amen. John Rice used to say, put the jam and the jelly on the bottom shelf where everybody can get to it. And that's it. When we preach, when we teach, put it right down there where folks can get to it, where little ones can understand it. I still, to this day, some of the things I say in my message are things that my father said when I was sitting there and I was his age. I was sitting there and listening and my dad said those things. And I took them in. And I processed them. And today I'm standing in the pulpit these many decades later, and I'm still saying those same things. You want to know why? Because they're still true. I'm, I'm telling the truth, 
speaking the truth in love. I'm saying it emphatically, and I'm saying it so that today's generation can understand it as well. The whole counsel of the Bible, the Word of God, means every word, every syllable from Genesis 1-1 to Revelation 22-21 is absolutely inspired and preserved. There are no flaws, no mistakes in the King James Bible. We've got it. You can take that to the bank of heaven. And that kind of preaching is confident preaching. It's whole council preaching. And we can go and we can cross-reference. You've heard me tonight go from 1 John to Revelation to John's Gospel over to uh, 2 Timothy. You've seen how the Scripture dovetails. Only the King James Bible does that. Every other mistranslation sends you all on a wild goose uh, chase, and it's not going to make sense. It's not going to be understood. When I open this Bible, almost any place I go, I can preach the doctrines of man, sin, and salvation. Just about anywhere. Now, in Bible college, sometimes they cram that into one semester, don't they, <laughs> Man, sin, and salvation. But you can go anywhere in the Bible and find man, anthropology, sin, and salvation. And there it is. Hell, judgment, heaven, rewards, the blood of Jesus Christ. Amen. Repentance. You can go all through the Bible, find repentance, find turning, find turning. We need a new start. We need a new heart and a new start. We need a change, but you can only get that from God. We, we have to have a change of mind, which leads to a change of heart. And God gives that to us. He commands it and He gives it to us. And then that turns us around and heads us in the right direction. That's not something we do on our own. That's what God does in and through us. And when we repent, praise the Lord, great changes take place. We have experienced regeneration, the new birth, the new life, the growth in grace, all of that. That comes with whole counsel preaching. Preachers need to get back to that. Whole counsel preaching. Ray, when you talk to the Hispanic crowd, give them, give them both barrels. Give them the whole thing. Whole counsel. And, and get right down to the end and, and say, now, what are you going to do about it? I've preached on repentance. What are you going to do? Hopefully you're going to repent. I've preached on the righteousness which is of Christ and not our own. And, and hopefully you're going to impute that righteousness. And, and uh, hopefully you're going to get saved. And hopefully you're going to live for God. What you're going to do about it? It's very important that we answer that question. Make sure you got the right Bible. The one that's straight from God. Number two, what kind of preaching do we need? Not only whole council preaching, we need conversion preaching. Preaching that talks about an actual transformation, a heaven sent transformation. Joshua says, he asks in chapter 24 and verse 15, as he's closing out his days, he says, choose you this day whom you will serve. You've got to choose. Elijah on Mount Carmel said, why halt you between two opinions? You've got to choose. You've got to make a choice. Moses said, you've got to choose. You've got to choose. And all through the Bible, that's it. Paul in front of Agrippa. How about it, Agrippa? What do you choose? What do you decide? He says, almost. Almost not good enough. We need to have conversion preaching, which leads those who have heard it as the Holy Spirit warms the heart, leads those individuals 
into that realm in which there is a divine transaction that takes place. It's not what we work up, but it's what God does in and through us and for us. Amen. We need to draw the net. We need to make sure that we give people an opportunity. We need to give them clearly the goal of, of, of this service is for lost sinners to be saved. The goal of this service is for lost sinners to acknowledge their need and to cry out uh, for mercy and to ask God by His grace to save them because God does all the saving and God will do the saving. It needs to be an immediate decision if they are prepared, if their soil of their heart has been plowed. Uh, they need to receive the truth. The decision now is the accepted time. Today is the day of salvation. I can't dictate the terms, but I'm telling you what the ideal is. All right, so there you are. I'm an idealistic preacher. The ideal is when we preach salvation, people realize that that's what they need, that they are lost, they lack it, they need it, that it's available, and they will call upon the name of the Lord. Now, it doesn't always happen that way, but that is the ideal, and that's the way we preach. I was taught when you preach, you don't give them any other way out. You don't give them a crack in the door or a, a, a wide space under the fence for them to crawl out. No place else to go. When, when you get through, it's like... A, Dave Weeks with the world occult evangelism, how he, he teaches it. You get, them, you get them to that checkmate point. There's no way out. You, I mean, if you're going to be honest, if we're going to follow the ground rules, if we're going to be honest about this, there's no other way. Jesus is the way. There's no other opportunity except Jesus Christ. So first, we need whole council preaching. Second, we need conversion preaching. We need to bring people to a real spiritual crisis. Third, we need convicting preaching. Needs to be effective. Now, I can't make it effective, but I've got to do everything I can to remove every obstacle that will make it ineffective. When Jonathan Edwards preached the great revival message, Sinners in the Hands of an Angry God, he was nearsighted. He held the manuscript up to his face like this. And in a monotone voice for several hours, he read that. But the power of the Holy Spirit, so strong, so pervasive, that people fell down off their benches and repented. We need convicting preaching. God will take the truth and will drive it into the heart like a spear or a sword. We need to preach specifically about getting saved, about what kinds of things keep people from thinking about salvation. Do you know that only one thing condemns a man and an individual to hell, and that's unbelief, not believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. But there are many things that contribute to that person's failure to believe, and they may be individual sins. So we need to preach specifically. Like, what are you saying, preacher? I'm saying that there are many things that will deaden the brain and, and, uh, and neutralize the body and the thinking process that caused people to say, well, I've got lots of extra time. They just turn up the music. I remember a, a highway patrol, a saved highway patrol officer who had come by because he had been in a specific church where I became the pastor after he had left. He had caused a problem in the church. He had spoken against the previous pastor and what was going on. And, and uh, he had come back to repent. And, and that night I preached on 
on how we ought to forgive or uh, let him that is without sin cast the first stone. We had a big barrel of rocks right down here, preacher. And I said, all right. And I called him in from the back and I had him stand here and he confessed what he had done to the church some years before. And I said, now I want you to come by and either shake his hand and forgive him or pick up a rock and throw it. And they all came by, but one man. They all came by. But in having a cup of coffee and a piece of Bob Evans' uh, strawberry pie with him, way back then in the days when I would do that, uh, he told me that almost without exception, when they found a high-speed wrecked vehicle where there were fatalities, almost every single case, the radio was turned up full blast. Kids were listening, I mean, as many decibels as they could to that radio. And every time, the station was some loud, noisy thing. He said, almost without exception, where there is a high-speed accident and there is self-destruction, it's because they've turned that radio up and they're going at a rate of speed that's deadly, dangerous, and they died in the process. I had a psychologist, a Christian uh, counselor tell me the reason for doing that is to numb and to neutralize feelings of guilt and conviction. That's why people listen to music at almost the threshold of pain. That's why people do that. The reason people get drunk out of their mind, take drugs, is because they don't want to deal with the reality of their situation and so they take it to a different level in drunkenness or in drugs, and, and they'll often destroy themselves. People will do the same with sinful pleasure and all kinds of, of destructive behaviors. And in the end, they don't solve anything, they don't fix anything. What they've ended up doing is just taking themselves to destruction. We need preaching that is whole counsel preaching. We need preaching that is conversion preaching. We need preaching that is convicting preaching. We need to preach on specific sins without beating around the bush. We need to tell people that sin will take you down, destroy you, neutralize your effectiveness for Christ. If you claim to be a Christian, sin will do that to you. There are four things that we get from the Word of God. Go with me again to 2 Timothy. Go with me there, please. 2 Timothy chapter 3. Please notice in verse 16, all Scripture... That's the Bible. is given by inspiration of God. It's God-breathed. And is profitable for what? Doctrine, number one. For reproof, number two. For correction, number three. For instruction in righteousness that the man of God may be perfect or complete, truly furnished unto all good works. So what four things? I know people that don't like to go to church because they don't want to be reproved. I know people that don't want to go to church because they don't want to be corrected. I know folks that don't want to go to church, Bible-preaching churches, because they don't want to be, they don't want to, uh, to uh, be corrected and instructed in righteousness. No, they, they don't want doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness. No, they want something that sounds good, that feels good, something that they can uh, justify their life, uh, whatever state they are in at the moment, and run from the truth to their own sad destruction. We should be convicted ourselves, if for no other reason, because we are non-aggressive, because we are non-declarative, because we don't loudly and emphatically speak the truth in love. 
as witnesses and soul winners. Sadly, we are at ease in Zion. We're settled on our lees. We're just letting the world go on to hell. What a terrible thing. We need to, each and every one of us understand that the Word of God, the whole counsel, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the truth that convicts and converts, that is for those who will listen, those who will be saved, and we need to be those who will carry the truth and herald the truth. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes tonight? Every head bowed, every eye closed. And how many of you tonight would say, Preacher, something in the Word spoke to my heart. Lift your hand up high. Spoke to my heart tonight. God bless you. That's good. Amen. In just a moment, we'll extend an invitation. I want you to come from where you are and find a place down here and have a word of prayer and then go back to your seat. If you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Would you pray right now from your heart to God? Something like this. Dear God, I admit that I'm a sinner. I deserve to pay for my sins. I believe Jesus died to save me. And right now, I receive the Lord Jesus Christ into my heart as my personal Savior. Please take away my sins and take me to heaven when I die. If you prayed that prayer and meant it, would you slip your hand up, anyone at all? All right, we're going to stand to our feet and we're going to sing a hymn of invitation.